You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Hi, welcome to Nick Luck Daily. It is Friday the 15th of July, another busy news day in what's been a busy news week in the world of horse racing and uh, that is because yesterday the news broke that the intended last race at Newbury, the 439, the Stonegate Holmes Phillies novice, tomorrow afternoon had no horses declared. 13 entries, no horses declared. Uh, to talk about this is uh, someone who, who had a horse entered in the race, trainer Rafe Beckett, also the president of the National Trainers Federation. I will be joined by Jay Mangan, broadcaster and journalist, to uh, discuss this and, and plenty more later on in the show. But uh, Rafe with me first of all. Rafe, you, you said yesterday in the Racing Post this this wasn't a boycott as such. Trainers made their own individual decisions. Do you still stand by that? It would only be a boycott if uh, if uh, if it happened after declaration. Didn't have, you know, we all decided to run elsewhere. I decided to run my city yesterday at Leicester in a race that was worth eight thousand total value. When I declared for the race at Leicester, the race at Newbury was still only worth 5,300. I'm doing my best for my own. And uh, the fact that Newbury added another 1,200 pounds just before declarations says it all for me. Was there contact made on, on your part um, between entries and, and declaration stage with anyone at Newbury regarding the, the race and the prize money on offer? There was contact made when the race uh, conditions were published a month ago. Hmm. So um, one trainer copied me into his uh, correspondence with Julian Thick then. So, Newbury can't say that they didn't know there was uh, or uh, didn't know that trainers were unhappy with the level of prize money. Um, Some time ago, long before entries closed, 13 entries for a Phillies novice on a Saturday. That says it all. Never mind who did or didn't declare. That's an extremely low entry. So, so is it fair to, to say or, or assume, Rafe, that um, given that the contact had been made with Newbury prior and a, and a long time prior, um, you were effectively waiting for, for, for what Newbury were willing to do prize money-wise and, and, and when you saw the, the what, what I think you'd, you'd class as a, a not good enough increase, that was, that was game over as far as you running your filly? Absolutely. You know, Leicester's race yesterday, 240 at Leicester yesterday, was worth 8,000 added compared to 5,300. That is in a nutshell. You can't have it both ways. 
That's the point. The irony, of course, here, Tom, is that race, the Racecourse Association are against a reduction in race volume. That means we have plenty of opportunity to run wherever we like. And that's what's happened here. What did you make of um, Julian Thicke's statement that came out yesterday? I would say that uh, he makes the point the industry needs to pull together. (laughs) I would agree with that. You know, the industry needs to pull together. But it has to happen on all sides. You know, the race courses are continually obstructed to progress. You know, six of the nine stakeholders voted for a reduction of the 300 race cut for 2023. Six of the nine. But the most vocal part of the race course association didn't want it. The ones who, who jump up and down the most were the ones who got their way. Well, we're not jumping up and down. We're just voting with our feet. The, I mean, the RCA are, uh, are particularly disappointed, clearly. What, in relation to, to what you mentioned, Ari, the, um, the 300 races um, not being cut or, or effectively that plan being shelved, what, what do you have to say on that front? Well, the RCA uh, make the point that uh, 10 stables found reason to withdraw their horses. You can't withdraw until you've declared. So that shows a, fa- shows a fundamental lack of understanding on how the system works. You enter at five days, you declare at 48 hours. If you, was, if you take out your horse after 48 hours, that's a withdrawal. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's clear to me that the RCA don't understand the participants on any level. Rafe, do you, do you have... Well, no, I'm, I'm judging you don't have sympathy for Newbury. Um, however, could it have been any track... Or is it notable, um, given that Newbury is a is a, a group and grade one um, track? Is it is it notable that the first instance of this is Newbury? Well, it's not the first instance, is it, uh, Tom? You know, February and end of February, March twenty nineteen, we walked away from three meetings that are at uh, at. Um, at arc tracks, hmm. didn't we? So this isn't the first time this has happened. It's the first independent. Yeah, Newbury's prize money has been um, derisory for some time. You know, page three of the Racing Post tells us today that one out of 67 class five Philly novices run this year have been run for a smaller first prize yeah one all year what does that tell you about Newbury 
Um, they reference uh, Julian Thicke references the, the the pandemic, then being an, an independent track. References the fact that things should be brighter on the horizon when a new deal with Sky Sports Racing comes in. C- can you afford them any time? All tracks were offered uh, interest-free loans during the pre- during the pandemic. None of them were taken up. So what I would say to you on that front is that racecourses are all doing perfectly well during the pandemic because of their media rights. And because they won't tell us what they get in media rights, there's a fundamental lack of trust. They say, oh, we're getting this and we're getting that. But it's all smoke and mirrors. And until the racecourses own up to what they earn in media rights, this will keep happening. Racecourses are cinemas. They're not. They're not. Uh, they're not. Uh, uh, one big BHA board member told me recently that the racecourses were half of the industry. Well, that's an insult. They're not half the industry at all. They're cinemas. And they're not even doing a very good job of that. Crowds were down five years in a row pre-COVID. Their basic, their basic model, as uh, you know, in terms of in terms of attracting racegoers, is to put on concerts with a race meeting attached. Well, that's worked really well, hasn't it? And it's all coming home to roost now. We don't want to uh, walk away from races. But if they're not going to put anything on, no one will show up. That's the message. Jane Mangan is my guest. Jane, Ooh, we've got a we've got a lot to get through. You can reflect on on Rafe Beckett first of all. His his position, Jane, is pretty clear. It sure is. And if I'm quite honest, it was a matter of time. It was a matter of time. I'm surprised, maybe, that Newbury in particular are so defensive um when you really not that it's indefensible but it's pretty pretty hard to justify when you up the initial prize fund by around 800 pounds when it was initially worth 500,300 pounds um you up it to six and a half grand you're already admitting that there is obviously not enough prize money on offer they put it up a meager amount where the winner would take home three just over three and a half thousand pounds. They're saying because it's a grade one track, because it's a Saturday, quite frankly, 3,500 for winning a race isn't good enough. It's, it's just barbaric and it's happening every day of the week. And the fact that Newbury are in particular taking a lot of, a big hit for this, but of the 67 class five Phillies novice races staged in Britain this year, only one of them had a smaller purse. And two offered the very same prize money, another one of which was staged at Newbury. So this isn't an isolated case. This is happening. And unfortunately, it will take action from trainers, from shareholders to make change. And if, if a racetrack is saying, you know, we're, we're, you, you have to support us. Realistically, a racetrack is a racetrack and it has nothing without competitors and racehorses. And that, that's the core problem. 
Rave Beckett has said, you know, he's, he said in that interview, you know, we, we, we can vote with our feet. It'd be interesting to see if the, the paying public votes with their feet when you have, for example, at Newbury tomorrow, Craig David on after racing. I wonder how many of, of the fans that have bought tickets for Newbury today, uh, sorry, tomorrow, will notice that it's now a six race card compared to a seven race card. That's a good good question. Um, if 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 a venue wants to be a concert hall or an art gallery or all those different things, then the the title racetrack is uh, redundant. Um, I've long been not not that I've been unsupportive of having extracurricular entertainment at race courses. I'm not against that, but what I am against is disincent uh, the actual core product um, and, and making people uninterested in what we as an industry sell. And if we do segue off this, Tom, to what, what is happening today, six fixtures, Newbury, Haydock, Nottingham, Newmarket, Hamilton and Pontefract, where over those six fixtures is an average field size of seven. You know, of the 41 races run today, only 11 of them have each way betting because they've eight runners or more. This, this is just, we're, we're like the Titanic heading straight for the iceberg and we can see it and we're not turning. Um, there's a huge problem. We've mentioned the prize money at the very start with regards to Newbury. But if we're, we're, if we're, if we're relying on concerts and extra entertainment at racetracks to get people through the turnstiles, then we do not believe in our product. We do not believe in our industry or our sport. And then the whole thing, the whole foundation of the game falls asunder. The other thing I know you wanted to mention, you, you pointed out to me yesterday, a rule, Jane, which, which I had wrongly assumed was, was, was actually no longer in place um, because it was brought in during the pandemic. Um, Irish runners not allowed to, to run under a certain level here in the UK. That, that's still in force. Yes, yeah, so back uh, initially during COVID, there was a lot of rules came in and restrictions and we all went with the flow because we had to basically do what was necessary to survive and keep racing running during really tough times. But now we're out the other side and we just presumed that a lot of these rules were rescinded and it just recently came to my attention that uh, horses in, in low-class races, so class five races, whether it be over jumps or uh, on the flat, that Irish horses are still not permitted to run in these races. And we constantly see, in whether it be Perth, Sedgefield, Chelmsford, Wolverhampton, small, relatively uncompetitive races at the lower end where I think a lot of Irish horses would usually run in those races. You have John McConnell, Gordon Elliott, Ado McGuinness, endless Stuart Crawford always going across to run in these races uh, from Ireland. And, and they're restricted to not they're not able to run in those lower bracket races and i know obviously my dad is a trainer with a very small string and i know economies of scale is becoming a very very big thing here in ireland because it's becoming a big thing everywhere we can't blame anyone for the cost of living crisis certainly not the bha but the bha could help people out in this regard because i know if we send a horse from here to run in the uk in 2019 that cost Per horse costs around 380 euro. Um, if we were to do it today from home here, it would cost the best part of 800 euro per horse. So you're over 100% up on what it cost pre-COVID. So it makes sense if we were to send a horse to the UK to send 
rather than one, send three or four. But if we can't run in these types of races, then those, you can't fill the box and, and make your economies of scale work for you and your owners and make it a viable option, particularly when you're running in races that are worth such meagre amounts. So it, it's a full vicious circle. But I would love if somebody could clarify as to why in these lower grade races, these class five races, why Irish horses are still not permitted to run in the UK. News confirmed yesterday as well, Jane, that, that Desert Crown isn't going to run in the, the King George. I, I'm going to get your views on that um, very shortly. Um, the King George ties in with a few news stories, um, one relating to, to Mishriff as well. So we'll, we'll come to those. Let me just run through the top 22, specifically 22, because Westover is, is currently at 22 in Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's global rankings. Um, I'll just spin up 22 Westover. 21 is Hot Rod Charlie. Native Trail is 20. Not sure exactly where he goes next. Euphoria, 19. Uh, Animo is uh, at 18. Modonegal, 17. Olympiad, one of a few likely Whitney runners in, in early August. Olympiad is 16. Caribus is 15. Goodwood bound, perhaps, as a few might be. State of Rest, 14, might also be headed to a fascinating... Um, looking Sussex stakes. Jack Christopher is at 13, a likely Haskell runner. Very elegant is at 12. Mishriff, we know, um, weekend after next, um, potentially going to go for the King George. Won't be ridden by David Egan. Desert Crown is at 10. Went up to 10, but is out now of that uh, King George. Not sure when we're going to see him next. Vadeni is at um, nine. Zaki at eight. Title holder from Japan is at seven. Flightline is at six. Not certain when we're going to see Flightline again. Jackie's Warrior five. Golden 64. Life is good at three. Possible Whitney contender question mark. Nature Strip two after that brilliant performance at Royal Ascot. And Baid, who we're going to see in the Sussex Stakes, is at one. That's 22 down to one. Take you back to 22 and to 10. Westover and Desert Crown, Jane. Well, on Westover and the, the King George, I also asked Ray Beckett this morning um, what he thought, first of all, about the, the defection of, of Desert Crown. Obviously, it makes the, the race a, a bit easier to win, but um, was he sad that he, he doesn't get the chance to take on the Derby winner again? I think it's a great shame that uh, Desert Crown isn't running. Um, I uh, would have loved to take uh, uh, I, I would have loved uh, Westover to take him on again. Uh, um, King George is a midsummer highlight and um, the race loses something for the derby winner not being there. We'll make a decision on the King George on Monday morning and with the family and uh, Barry Marne, the Chubmon racing manager. And then once he's running the King George, there'll be another discussion with the family as to where he goes next. And that's, that's the way it work. Yeah. And with regard to who rides, does that decision happen Monday as well? Yeah. Okay. Uh, is, it a, is it a choice between two, between Colin Keane and, and Rob Hornby? Is that fair? It's, a, you know, it's, it's not between anybody. A decision will be made on Monday as to who rides. Desert Crown, not running... But we don't know specifically what the issue is, do we? No, it's it's uh, a little bit mystifying. Obviously, as regards him missing the King George, a huge blow. Absolutely. like it, This was what the race was really revolving around. We haven't seen him since he won at Epsom. 
The third horse, Westover, has come out and he's won the Irish Derby. Subsequently, this has been the target for Sir Michael Stout and it just, it, it does take a, a big thing, a big shine off the race. Now, it'll still be good race, but it, it would have been an awful lot better with him in it. Um, what we know, it's a foot issue. He missed a piece of, crucial piece of work during the week, um, quoting his uh, almost representative, Bruce Raymond, today. It's not a joint, it's not a tendon. Um, basically, I don't know if there's any damage, but you could start some damage. So they're playing a conservative card because they have a, a top horse on their hands. But it's uh, it's hugely disappointing that we won't see him. I'd imagine they'll be targeting, if it is only a small issue, which is what it's sounding like, uh, they'll be targeting big autumn um, races, maybe something like the Arc at the end of the year. But we might have seen the Arc winner win yesterday, Tom, at Longchamp. Oh, look at that. And another Frankel as well, Jane. Perfect segue. What, what did you make uh, of it? 25th Group 1 winner for Frankel. The first for See the Stars is a dam sire. Interesting inbreeding to Urban Sea, something we're probably going to see an awful lot more of. He's got a lot of pace, Ernesto. Um, he, was, he was poorly drawn in the pre-jockey club. He had no run. He got out late and he made up a lot of ground. Uh, I thought he ran a really good race to even finish fifth on that occasion. But uh, yesterday, uh, Stefan Pasquier, he's keen. This horse can over-race. And in a race like the Arc, if you have a big field, that could come against him. But he did settle completely cold out the back yesterday. They seemed to go on even pace. There didn't seem to be any excuse for the likes of a Pisbadil and Co. And um, I, I thought he won with plenty in hand. He's He's got a really good change of gear, this guy, but he stays. It's the perfect combination. And it's something that a lot of the Frankels have. And uh, we believe Mishriff is, is going to turn up in the, the King George um, next Saturday, eight days away. His owner is um, Prince A.A. Faisal. Uh, we know that he will not be ridden by... Um, David Egan, um, Prince Faisal. It's um, it's a shame, I, I suppose, given given what you've achieved together, that um, David won't part of the horse, and that your your relationship has come to an end. Are you sad about that? Yeah, I think I think he's a good jockey. I think he will be a good jockey in time. It is, but I mean, if he doesn't sign the contract, I'm not going to force him to. So it, it's fair to assume that this was a a decision led by him, was it? Well, I, I, I mean, Ted tendered the contract, he's chased it a few times, and there's no answer on that. I mean, I think he should be free if he wants to be. And this obviously comes off the back of um, Mishriff's very encouraging run in the, in the, well, in the Coral Eclipse, I think. What, what, what did you make of that? I mean, Duke is making a mistake. Right. We're, we're used to that. Mm. He's made a mistake before under Yaz. We didn't stop it. But if he doesn't want to sign, I'm not going to ask him to force him to sign. Mm. I think I can do okay without without a jockey. I don't have too many horses. Well, I'm sure we'll get a good jockey. I mean, John and Roger and the Shepard will get a good jockey to ride if they have the horse. Mm. Um, is Mishriff's next run going to be in the in the King George, Prince Faisal? Well, he's considered for that. It's up to John, really. I think you better ask John Goldstein about it. Okay. And, and and will it be John's decision as to who rides the horse, or, or will you yeah. have a yeah. say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, what's good about John, he talks to you. 
And then we usually it's very easy to get along with and get out an agreement. Mm. Uh, he, he knows better than I do. So best available jockey for, for horses in your colours from now on? Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I've done it for years. I can't do it for more, more years. I want a proper uh, a real jockey comes in, so I would take consideration of that. Well, look, we wish you all the, the best if indeed he does line up um, next weekend. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Jane, do we, do we know any more after that? I'm, I'm, sort of, I'm, I'm sort of not sure. At one stage, I, I feel Prince Faisal saying, well, he did say, what can I do? The jockey won't sign the contract. But he's also pretty clear that he wasn't happy with what happened in the Coral Eclipse. Yes, yeah, so he, he's basically told us that David has made the decision. Um, and that's a one bit of clarity that we didn't have before. Uh, two, that there was amendments to the contract. Uh, whatever they were, it doesn't really matter now. David wasn't, uh, wasn't going to sign. And um, that Prince A. Faisal was unhappy with what happened at, uh, in the eclipse. But you would be. It, 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 you, a jockey meets traffic and running. They're obviously going to say, oh, I should have done this or I should have done that. And people will say, could the horse have won? And he may well have, but um, that's just human error and that can happen to any rider. And one thing I will say is that David Egan will have to say, be forever grateful to Prince A. Faisal for taking a chance on him at an early stage in his career that has really helped him develop as a rider and given him a platform from which to build because to get on a horse like Mishrif or a trainer like John and Thady Gosden in, in races like the Saudi Cup and winning on a world stage has put him um, on a new level as a rider. And he's still only 23 years of age. He's developing all the time. And uh, I suppose maybe he's thinking that there's bigger uh, battalions for him to, to tie up with now. Uh, Prince A.F. Faisal mentioned there that he doesn't have a huge team of horses. And uh, that might be in... in in the decision as well. But ultimately, the, the big question is who will be riding Mishriff in the King George? It's down to John and Thady Goss, and you'd have to think that Monsieur uh, de Tory may well be on board. I'm laughing because you, you wouldn't have said that 10 days ago, would you? No, I wouldn't. <laughs> oh, 10 minutes is a long time in racing, so there you are. One person who I don't think can be riding Mishriff in, in the King George Dane is Christophe Sumion because he's, he's had his ban reduced. Um, but just to eight from, from 12 for the incident after the line in the Coral Eclipse. Yes, uh, he represented himself via Zoom um, in this appeal process. And it was interesting. He obviously had his research done because he said of the 86 or 87 jockeys who got a suspension this year, I have got the biggest suspension in the UK this year. And when you think of all the breaches and all he's, the different stewards and He's got a point. He's got a point. He has a point and he, he, he made it very well. So he's had his, his 12 days reduced to eight. Look, I think he wants to move on from this. Um, it, it, it was one of those things that we'll, I think every jockey who will be planning a big celebration if they win a big race will learn from. But no, he probably wasn't going to be riding Mishriff anyway, but Mishriff having been second to a day are in last year's King George. Could he take that uh, crucial step forward and, and win the race? Westover, I, I loved him at the Curra, I loved him at Epsom. Um, but I suppose the German horse to Porto Tasso uh, adds in an extra, I suppose, a, a layer that we, we don't know how that his form really stacks up. You can take the arc form literally if you want, but it was run on extremely soft ground. So I think that's the, for me now, with the defection of Desert Crown, 
that's the real uh, level of intrigue that's this year's King George. And uh, yeah, that, that, that's the one I'm, I'm looking forward to next Saturday. Right, the Irish Oaks, Jane. What do you make of Emily Upjohn's price now? I mean, it, it's a great shame Tuesday isn't going to run. It, should this be a walk in the park for Emily Upjohn? Uh, ultimately, yes. On ratings, she's £8 superior to Magical Lagoon, but I do think Magical Lagoon will appreciate going up and trip again to a mile and a half. She's Galileo, sister to novelist who won a King George. So um, Magical Lagoon is, is a good winner of the Ribblesdale and she's a good filly, but Emily Upjohn is, is the star attraction. It's great to have her here. I'm actually not disappointed Tuesday's not running because I feel her fifth classic run this year, she probably wouldn't be the same filly that we saw at Epsom. And it would be a a, a huge ask. And I'm I'm grateful for punters that there's eight runners. We just barely scraped the eight runners because we have have each way betting. And uh, Aidan O'Brien is three in there. He's got Emily Dickinson, who ran really well at Leopardstown last time. A huge step up in what we've seen from her before. She's out of Chiquita, who, of course, won this race. under Johnny Murta having gone halfway left across the track. Uh, Ryan Moore has chosen to ride to ride Toy, which I'm a little bit surprised in because I'd be very sceptical as to whether she'll stay a mile and a half. And uh, and history is the amount of Wayne Lord, and she's been a little bit disappointing since winning over a mile at Leopardstown at the beginning of the season. But Emily Upjohn, she will hopefully get a lot of fans through the turnstiles. She's a, a, a big name, and I think this is her perfect opportunity to, to win a classic in her first group one. Right, let's check in at, uh, at Hong Kong. Um, I know it's Friday, but um, it, it all comes to a head. Jim McGrath tomorrow, and um, the, the Zach and Joe show is going to be fascinating. It is indeed, because this has kept this season alive. It's been the most horrible season for everybody in Hong Kong because of lockdowns and uh, all sorts of restrictions because of COVID. Uh, racing has carried on remarkably. And this pair of jockeys, um, Zach Purton and Joe Moreira, have gone to the line, uh, absolutely locked together. We've got 10 races remaining. We've had 87 meetings, 825 races, and they are absolutely dead level with 132 wins each. Uh, They are remarkable competitors. And unfortunately, I think that the physical demands and the mental stress of this whole season is starting to show. Um, Zach, of course, has come back from horrible injuries in December. Uh, he's an absolute fighter. He's very admirable. And Joe Moreira, only a few weeks ago, suffered uh, uh, sort of a, an irregular heartbeat and had to give up uh, a couple of his uh, a couple of days riding. So it is starting to show, and uh, both of them will be glad when they cross the line. Um, they've uh, both got, uh, well, Zach's got a full book of, of 11 rides. Joe Moreira's got 10 rides. I think it's going to go right down to the very last race. I, I can imagine, given you know lockdowns and, and everything they've been through over there, they're, they're, whether or not they're enjoying it right now is is, a, is hard to say. But for the, for the fans out there, it, it, it must be a big old lift to see this battle. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, you know, you've got to hand it to the, the punters in Hong Kong. They've, they've kept going. Uh, they've been locked away, and uh, this has kept the whole place going in, in many respects. Uh, just this interest in racing, but also these two great competitors are going uh, stride for stride, uh, trading punches now in the, in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the last rounds, if you like. Uh, and uh, they're like a couple of heavyweight uh, fighters squaring up to each other for the last uh, couple of rounds, and uh, we'll see how they go. My money's on Zach, really. I think he's um, he, he's, he's meant.
mentally uh, a little bit tougher than Joe, I think. Uh, and also he plays mind games with his rival. Uh, he's uh, noticed just reading overnight, he's saying in the press he doesn't think he's, he's got much of a hand, he's worried, he's run out of horses, etc., etc. But I think he's got three or four really good chances. And uh, knowing the way he rides, he's very aggressive out of the gate. He's got a couple of his rides, uh, Lucky Swayness in race 10 and two shall in race 11. They've both drawn a little bit wide, but knowing his attacking nature, uh, Zach will bounce them out, he'll get them into a handy position, and they'll have every possible chance. So my money's on him, uh, but, uh, gee, uh, it's, <laughs> it's not much in it, I can tell you that. Yeah, straight out of the playing the underdog playbook, mind games, I, I love it. Um Jim, thanks for everything throughout the season and um, let's hope for an exciting final day. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Tom. Uh, Jane, you were, you were sending me news left, right and centre yesterday. Thank you for, for that, keeping me on my toes. Um, Kieran P. Cotter, his, his appeal, uh, where a, a prohibited substance was found on the 20th of January at Dundalk. Uh, what, what's the latest on this? Yes, so um, Slade Runner was disqualified from winning a race in January of 2021 at Dundalk because he... Uh, had high levels of cobalt in his system. There was an, uh, the original referral hearing was in uh, in May, where they basically accumulated uh, fines and expenses of thirty five thousand euro between breaches of Rule ninety six A, forty eight, uh, one one hundred and forty eight point one and one forty eight point three, um, and expenses of seven and a half grand. And it, it, there's over 10 pages of this document but ultimately the original sanction was including expenses 35,000 euro um, so Mr Cotter lodged an appeal against the severity of the sanction imposed and between all the jigs and the reels he's coming out two and a half thousand euro better off because under rule 148 the maximum limit there's a threshold of 20,000 euro and because the original referral hearing had broken the rule into two, basically, as I mentioned, 148.1 and 148.3, they had actually accumulated a fine of €25,000, which is over the limit. So they, um, for the breach of 96A, for the having excessive quantity of cobalt in um, Slade Runner's system, that fine went from being €2,500 up to 5,000 euro in the appeal, went the other way. Um, but the 5,000 euro fine, uh, which was imposed for 148.1, was completely removed. So he's coming out a little bit better off after all that rigmarole. I'm sure it was very stressful, a lot of reading, uh, but 2,500 euro better off. I've run out of fingers to count on, Jane. I've got confused. But you... you, you... And you and me both, but at the time, because it was such a huge amount, it was big, big news. Mm. Um, it was it was not only because of uh, the horse losing the race in Dundalk, but because of uh, an IHRB inspection, which uh, in the yard they found a number of regulations uh, that were uh, breached, and I suppose 20, 20 grand is a lot of money. So they, they appealed. Could you say they won? They won a fraction you've covered so much i feel bad asking you for a, a tip but um but needs must so put the put the icing on the cake or the cherry on top of the icing or whatever with a winning tip i feel i feel bad asking you for any more but i'm gonna anyway so we're going to clarney 
uh, the one of the most scenic tracks in Ireland. If anybody wants to go to a, a lovely track outside of the big ones, Killarney would be on the agenda. And I like Ferdia in the 4.35, the chase for John uh, John Ryan and Philip Donovan. It's only seven runners. Ferdia has been very, very um, consistent. This is his handicap debut, and I think he's Marcus Fair in the 4.35. Jay Mangan, super stuff. Thank you ever so much. Got through plenty of information there. This podcast will return tomorrow in the form of the Saturday edition, hosted by Charlotte. She'll also be on duty for you Monday, Tuesday next week, and I'll be taking over for the rest of the week. And um, I wish you all a very, very good, very entertaining enjoyable weekend. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.